Well, good evening. It is good to see you tonight. Welcome to our Thursday evening service of Bible Conference 24. It has been a joy as I've gotten to talk with many of you about what God is doing in your heart. I really feel like we're seeing God cultivate our hearts and that through that He is helping us lift up our eyes and look on the fields. I was particularly challenged after today's message with regard to the need in our world that still exists. Somehow we think after 2,000 years we're beginning to whittle it down, but there's such a great need. And the Lord prompted me that we do something unique tonight. And so we are going to be opened in prayer by Sam Daniel in a little while. But actually, if you could call up the slide for me, I went to um, the site that I mentioned to you today, Joshua Project. And since Dr. Dorn had mentioned the country of Yemen, I wanted to pull it up and give you an example of what you find on the Joshua Project when you look at a country like this. And so when you look at the country of Yemen, you can see the statistics there with regard to unreached people. And if you look at that middle line, you will see that out of 34,284, there are 34,181,000 unreached people in the country of Yemen. And it is technically a closed country. You can't get into the country of Yemen to do gospel work. So tonight as we begin, I actually want us all over the auditorium to break into groups of four or five. And I want us to obey. I want us to pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest field of Yemen. And so we're going to break up just right where you're at. You may or may not know the people next to you. That's okay. If they know the Lord, they can pray. And so um, we're going to split up right here where you're at. Four or five, turn towards one another. And I want us actually to spend three, four, five minutes in prayer. And then Sam Daniel's going to come and close this time in prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to come join these folks.
Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening, Lord, humbly. Lord, we come before you this evening very grateful for the services we've already had. Lord, as we come to you tonight, Lord, we pray, as the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in thy way everlasting. Lord, I pray that would be the prayer of each, each of us before Dr. Morell comes here soon. Lord, but tonight we want to uplift, Lord, the country of Yemen. Lord, as there are, as we see on the screen, Lord, not many Christians there. And Lord, as, as there are so many unreached people, Lord, but we know, even though the government may hold them back, Lord, the Christians, Lord, but we know, as it's clear in your word, that with you all things are truly possible. And Lord, people can get into the country, Lord, by your grace, Lord, and people can be saved. Lord, but this week, Lord, is, Lord it is clear that the harvest is plenteous. Lord, but the laborers are few. Lord, I pray that throughout this conference, Lord, that we would see the need of the harvest, Lord. Lord, that even here at Bob Jones, Lord, you would call laborers into the harvest. Oh, God, work in a way that only you can, Lord. We pray for our dear brother, Dr. Morell, Lord, as he comes here, Lord, in a few short moments, Lord, to preach from your word. Lord, bless him tonight, Lord. Lord, give him clarity of speech, clarity of mind as he opens the holy word of God to preach your holy word. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Work in a way that only you can. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. We live in, in, a, we live in a broken and dark world, but God has put eternity in our hearts, and his beauty persists and points us to him, the author of our creation, who even now is making all things new and calling sinners home from every tongue and tribe and people. Let's stand and sing of this and join our voices together.
Amen. Beautiful. A couple of announcements for you tonight before we'll have special announcement. Alpha's Got Talent will be in Stratton Hall after the final Bible conference service on Friday night. Pre-purchase your ticket in the student mall on Friday afternoon from 3 to 5 p.m. or pay at the door. It's only $5. Come with friends for an entertaining, laughable, and impressive night featuring professors you love, skits, competition, music, comedy, maybe gymnastics, and more. That is Dr. Moore. Could, could we possibly have another typewriter showing? Like, who knows? The Student Athletic Advisory Council will be hosting the fourth annual faculty staff basketball game in the Davis Fieldhouse at 9 p.m. tonight. Benson versus Burke. I'll take them. I can take them. Tickets are $5 and will be sold in the DFH main lobby. Faculty and staff from all around campus will be participating in the event. So come and support and bring the hype. Please, please bring the hype. We need it. We'll all fall asleep. Concessions are being provided by Pi Gamma Delta and Pi Delta Chi. You won't want to miss it. That's at 9 o'clock after the service tonight. If you remember, a few weeks ago, we were privileged to have with us in chapel Miss Reba Bowman, one of our graduates, who is the executive director of Dare for More Ministries, who we are raising funds to help. And uh, since she's been here, she's been to the country of Guatemala, and there's been some really exciting things that have happened. And she has come back to be with us here for these last couple of days of Bible conference. And so I want to invite her to come, give you an update, make some announcements about Dare for More. Give her a warm welcome. Thank you guys so much. It's always nice to be back. And as he said, I have been to Guatemala since I was here before. And I, I know you guys have heard a lot about Dare for More over the past few days, weeks. Uh, and I have heard also about you and some of the craziness that you guys have been up to on our behalf. And so I want to say, uh, before I even tell you anything else, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for all the creativity and the crazy fun that you guys have come up with uh, in order to find ways to help our women and girls. For those of you who may be watching online or maybe you're here and you're like, I, I missed it somehow. What in the world is Dare for More? Well, let me tell you really quick. Uh, Dare for More Ministries is an organization that reaches women who are in crisis. And we reach women who are in crisis due to three big things, poverty, human trafficking, and extreme abuse. And just this week in Guatemala, uh, we have exciting news. Just this week, we opened the very first safe house of its kind in the whole entire country. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an exciting thing to see what God can do. And uh, I, I was never, you know, there's every step. Many years ago, I read this quote, and it, and it goes something like this. Every great thing begins with just one step. And I think sometimes steps are scary because you don't know how they're going to turn out and you don't know how it's all going to work out. But here's what I know. We've just been taking these little steps along the way as God just shows us what to do and he drops a breadcrumb here and he drops a breadcrumb here. And we've watched God do really amazing miracles. And I want you to understand that you're a part of that miracle story. As we want to bring women and rescue them, 
bring them into safety, bring them into healing. And we want to help them to be able to, this wonderful staff that you're seeing on the screen, they receive these women in, they love on these women, they care for them. And just uh, this week, as we opened our doors, we received our first woman and her two-year-old and her two-month-old. And that is the, the hard part about abuse and poverty and human trafficking. That is the difficulty of the job every single day. Uh, and so we, uh, if you want to know more about us, you can go to our where, website at dareformore.org and you can check out and find out all about the exciting things that God is doing in our ministry and our work. Uh, but one of the things that we start with, I told you some of the hardest things I've ever done is start with a step, just one step. And just take that step and see what God does and take that step and see what God does. And, and we try to teach the women the same thing. Just take that step and see what God does. And, and I want to show you some of the things. Actually, I, when I was here before, I wasn't able to bring this with you, uh, with me when I came. But now in the den, over in the game room, we've totally taken over your game room. I'm so sorry. And, um, and over in the game room, we've brought steps women have taken. Um, and this... I just brought a few. Here's one of our guys' wallets. When a woman comes in for her first time, she has no clue how to make this. She's scared to death. She's just figuring out crochet and how to get it all done. But by the time she graduates from our program, she's able to make this wallet. And she looks at this and she can just see what one step led to. Now, this is just a wallet and here's the beautiful girls' wallets, all right? So we have both. And, and so our women learn how to make these things, but here's what you have to understand and what I want you to get and why what you're doing is so important. Every step that we, they take is a step that I hope and pray leads them closer to Jesus. Because we can heal the outside, and we can even help them patch up the inside, but we can't change their hearts and we can't change their lives. There's a lot of things I can't promise them for here on this earth, but what we can promise them is that Jesus is the answer, and there's coming a day when he's going to rescue us all, and we're going to be rescued out of here, and we're going to go to heaven, and we're going to be with him. And, and you know, this is what I believe to be true. I, I really believe one of these days, some of you students are going to be walking the streets of heaven, and a woman is going to come up and tap you on the shoulder, and she's going to say, excuse me, thank you. And you're going to be like, I'm really sorry. I don't think I know you. And you're like, well, I know you, because when you were in college at Bob Jones, you did that crazy thing. You made those thousand cakes. You, you did a run you thought you was going to die from. You, 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 you bought some stuff at an auction. Uh, you, you went to a game. You went to a funny thing where Dr. Moore is going to do whatever. And I don't even know what that's going to be, but I'm sure it's going to be exciting. And, and because you did that, I was able to get on a van and I was able to be rescued and taken to a safe house. And as a result of that, I trusted Christ. And as a result of that, I'm here. So thank you. So on behalf of all of those women and all of those children that you're doing so much for, I want to say thank you. I hope this will come by. Uh, we're in the den in the game room. Please come by, say hello. Uh, we've got some fun t-shirts that if you've been involved in any way, you can grab one of these and you can say, you know what, I dared for more. Uh, for these women, and we got excited about that. We'd love to have you come by, and thank you so much. Now, I'm a coach. I'm an old coach, so I'm going to close with this. This is crunch time, and every coach knows what crunch time is. You call the timeout, you bring the team in the huddle, and you're like, guys, it's almost over, but we can do this. I know we can do this. Everybody ready? 
One, two, three, let's go, right? Well, tomorrow is crunch time. And I believe you guys can do this. So as the old coach in me, I'm going to say one, two, three, let's go do this thing and let's help rescue a lot of women and children. Thank you guys so much. I want to remind you, particularly our viewers at home, of the journey of how the Lord led us to this place. Um, Coach Vicki Denny regularly takes her volleyball team on a mission trip, as many of our athletic teams do, and connected with Reba and ended up bringing our varsity volleyball team down to Guatemala on a mission trip. And it so impacted them, it so gripped them that when they came back and were sharing their testimonies, one of the team members wrote to me and said, could we consider Dare for More as our Bible conference fundraiser? And so we've already been impacted, we've already partnered, and this is just a next step, a further step in partnering. And uh, I'm excited to see what God is going to do. Unlike last year, most of your fundraisers are using Venmo. And so we have no idea what most of you have raised so far. We've not gotten a lot of those funds. So our to total tonight stands just shy of $40,000, but it really doesn't count a lot of the work that you have been doing. But I want to speak to our guests and to our viewers that are joining us online. Every year it is awesome for us to see what God does because He does exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever ask or think. And much of that is through people that aren't in our services, we don't see or are, but God lays it upon their heart to do something significant. And we've seen every year somebody give a gift of 10000 or 25000 or a matching gift of 20000 And I'm reaching out to you tonight to say, if God puts it on your heart, it is crunch time. I want to invite you to join with our students in their effort at carrying out global evangelism through a need, a, a social need. Um, women that are being trafficked or being abused and dealing with violence. And the opportunity there in the country of Guatemala that that has created for us to get them under the sound of the gospel while caring for them. And so maybe God would lay it on your heart tonight to, to partner with us in this offering. Now would be a great time to get your checkbook out or to go online. We take Menmo and to join with us in this offering tonight. And uh, let's give God all the glory for what He does in helping us supply for the need in Guatemala. Ushers, if you would come forward, we'll pray tonight for our offering. Haven't our ushers done a great job? I think we need to give them a big round of applause. Let's pray together. Our Father, you know it better than we do. We're not able. Without you, we can do nothing. Paul could say, my God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you tonight for your supply. And Lord, we are joining with you in this offering all trying to do our part. And Lord, we'll be pleased with whatever it is you allow us together to accomplish and the lives that'll be changed by it. We've set a goal, Lord, for us to focus on and work toward. And we do pray that you would allow us to reach that goal. Would you supply? Lord, I pray you would supply well beyond that if that's your plan, 
if there's more that can be done, more supplies that can be provided, a third vehicle that could be purchased. Uh, Lord, you know that and you can supply. And we pray, oh God, that you might use us. Lord, most importantly, in this offering, in all the efforts that we undertake and in what we sacrificially give, Lord, we really do want it to be an acceptable sacrifice to you. Lord, see our hearts. We're offering an offering to you to demonstrate what you are worth in our lives, for you are worthy of worship. And so as we give, whether it's through going and realizing that when I buy a burger, those funds are going into an offering to further the gospel in Guatemala, or whether it's writing a check, Lord, I pray that our heart would be inclined to you. And I pray that you would be pleased with our offering even tonight. Bless and provide, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Blair. Thank you, Martha, for leading us in that prayer. We're going to continue in the spirit of prayer as we sing 
Now may the mind of Christ my Savior, and would you just pray that God would give you the mind of Christ so that his love would constrain you and that he would give you his peace as you're the hands and feet of him as you calm the sick and the sorrowing and that his beauty would rest upon you and establish the work of your hands as you call the lost to him. Let's stand and pray together.
Thank you, Kara. What a powerful text to think that we are reconciled to our God through Christ. I hope that fills your heart, and I hope out of that comes a desire to see the rest of His creation reconciled to Him. Dr. Matt Morell is our preacher again tonight. Give him a warm welcome as he comes. Thank you. I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the Holy Scripture to Isaiah chapter number 6. Isaiah chapter number 6. It is in his classic book, The Knowledge of the Holy, that A.W. Tozer has written this. He says, the heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God. He writes, we do the greatest service to the next generation of Christians by passing on to them undimmed and undiminished that noble concept of God. Now, of course, that concept of God is what we call our view of God, our understanding of the person and the character of God as revealed in the Scripture. And if you had to describe the person and the character of God as described in the Scripture, you would begin with the matter of holiness. The Bible says that God is holy. The Bible says that God's name is holy. God's word is holy. God's law is holy. God's promises are holy. God's works are holy. God's ways are holy. God's wrath is holy. God and everything about God is holy. But of course, we must ask what we mean by the fact that God is holy. To say that God is holy means more than God does not sin. To say that God is holy means more than that God is morally pure. This evening I submit to you that God's holiness is all of the separateness that exists between the creator and the creature. God's holiness is the distance, the difference between God's deity and man's humanity. So Isaiah 11 verse number 9 says, I am God and not man, the holy one among you. And in response, we as the creation, the creatures, as mankind, we can only say, who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. So for this reason, some theologians don't classify holiness as one of God's attributes, but rather his primary attribute. God in his essence is holy. So this evening, we ask, okay then, but what's the point? What relevance does the holiness of God have to the matter of evangelism or the matter of worldwide global missions? What relevance does the holiness of God have to, to my heart for the harvest? And this evening, I would submit to you that the holiness of God is what drives us to take the gospel to the nations. Now, I made the very same claim yesterday about the worship of God. I declare that the worship of God is what compels us to tell the nations what is it about God, however, that compels us to worship him in the first place. And I would say to you, it is his holiness. 
And so this evening, as a companion message to yesterday's message, I present the case for the holiness of God in missions. The worship of God in missions yesterday because of the holiness of God this evening. Isaiah chapter 6 is open before you. It's a familiar passage. Follow as I begin reading in verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. We don't have time to explore all of the the symbolic representations of Isaiah's vision here, but let me assure you, it was awesome in a frightening way like something we have never seen. Can you imagine God splitting open the sky and showing you his throne room? God's throne was high and lifted up, illustrating the preeminence and and transcendence above his creation. And God was attended by the heavenly beings who surrounded him, worshiping him, saying, holy, holy, holy. Some believe that the threefold repetition of holy there was for the triune Godhead. Like the hymn that we sing, holy, 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 God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And I believe the threefold repetition there was because there's nothing else to say when you're in the presence of God. In fact, if we were to turn to Revelation 4, the Bible tells us that the heavenly beings do not rest day or night saying, holy, holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And there the the posts of the door were shaking. The room was filled with smoke. Can you imagine? I would offer you, by way of outline, number one from the text, Isaiah was terrified when he saw God reigning. Number one, Isaiah was terrified when he saw God reigning. But why would Isaiah be terrified by what he saw? Remember, it was the children of Israel who stood there at the foot of Mount Sinai and heard the thunderings and saw the the flashing of the lightning upon the mountain because of the presence of God. And they cried to Moses, and the children of Israel said, You speak with us and we will hear. But don't let God speak with us lest we die. And the the children of Israel stood afar off and and they trembled, the Bible says in Exodus 20. And it's not that Isaiah was excited to meet a celebrity. It wasn't that Isaiah was respectful when approaching an authority. It was that Isaiah saw God sitting on his throne. And I believe that Isaiah was terrified, rightly terrified, when he saw God reigning. I would also suggest, number two, Isaiah was horrified when he felt himself ruined. He was terrified when he saw God reigning. He was horrified when he felt himself ruined. And because of the holiness of God, Isaiah sensed his full depravity. Look at verse number five. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah said that he was undone. It can be translated as destroyed or cut off or lost. I I choose the, the, the word here that the New American Standard uses, ruined. 
And here in this moment, Isaiah saw the incredible separation between God's holiness and his sinfulness. And that separation was so great that he could not imagine the possibility of a relationship with God because of that great divide. In fact, later in this very book, Isaiah would declare to the people of Judah, your sins have separated between you and your God. That's man's problem. Man's sin has separated man from a holy God. But to add some significance here to what Isaiah says in chapter 6, verse number 5, I want to go back to chapter 5, where Isaiah issued six woes upon the nation of Judah for their sin. So turn the page back to chapter 5 and allow us to capture the context for a moment. Follow me with here in this chapter 5, verse number 8. You'll see a pattern that, that forms verse 8. Woe to those who join house to house they add field to field till there is no place where they may dwell alone in the midst of the land. That's a woe to the materialists. And this is talking about the greedy, unethical real estate dealings of the people of Judah. They were breaking some very specific rules of the Mosaic law about land ownership. Look at verse 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating or strong drink who continue until night till wine inflames them. Woe to the drunkards. Look at verse 18, chapter 5, verse, verse number 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as if it were a cart rope. That's woe to the doubters and the mockers of God. Verse number 19, they say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it. And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. There's, there, there's just mocking God. Verse number 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to, to those who are so perverted in their thinking. They have it all backwards, inside out, upside down. Verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to the conceited ones. Of course, in Proverbs 3, verse number 7, Solomon said, don't be wise in your own eyes. Wisdom is not sourced in us, but in God. Verse 22, woe to, the, to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. Woe to the drunkard. It's interesting here that twice he, he issues a woe upon the people of Judah for their alcohol consumption. Out of six woes, two are for alcohol. And what was the material consequence of all of Judah's sin? It was captivity. Look at verse 13. Back to verse number 13. Therefore, my people have gone into captivity. Look at verse 24. Chapter 5, verse 24. Therefore. Look at verse 25. Therefore. So in chapter 5, the great prophet Isaiah stood before Judah and boldly declared that the, the, the people were living in sin and their unholiness warranted six woes to be issued upon them. And Isaiah prophetically warned them of the pending ruin that would befall them. We know that, of course, as the Babylonian captivity. But then comes chapter 6. And now Isaiah says, woe is me. Do you follow the, the sequential progression here? Woe to Judah, woe to Judah, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Six times until he sees the throne room of God, the holiness of God, and he says, woe is me. How did he come to that? Verse number five, chapter six, verse five, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. 
And Isaiah saw God reigning and realized that he was ruined. For after witnessing the holiness of God, he realized that he too was part of the sin problem. And students, this evening I would say to us all that we could see the King, the Lord of hosts. If only we could get a clear picture of God, a right view of God, we would recognize our own state of ruin. You see, I'm I'm sure that if we could see God like Isaiah saw God, we'd be impressed, right? But God isn't going to appear to us in a dream. He's not going to split open the sky so we can see his glory. How do we ever get to the place that Isaiah got in recognizing the holiness of God and the ruin of man? Let me me tell you two ways in, in which God has revealed himself to us. First, God has revealed himself to us in the general revelation of creation. And we know this, Psalm 19, verse number 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Here in Isaiah 6, verse number 3, the whole earth is full of his glory, and creation displays the glorious attributes of our great God, but we fail to see it. Turn with me quickly to Isaiah 42, I'm sorry, chapter 40, Isaiah 40. Go with me there, chapter 40, and let me show you this. Isaiah chapter 40, look at verse number 12. Isaiah 40, verse number 12. Who has meted out or measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and the scales and the hills in the balance? The the answer is God. God has done that, but in fact, this verse, verse number 12, doesn't speak of God. It speaks of God's hand, just his hand. And verse 12 asks, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? What's the hollow of your hand? If you take your hand like this and and you kind of cup it with your palm, that's the hollow of your hand. And God says that he takes the waters, the waters of the earth, and he holds them in his hands like this. Scientists tell us that that there are 340 quintillion gallons of water on this planet. You have hundreds, thousands, millions, billions, trillions, quadrillions, quintillions. And he holds them like that. Verse 12 says, he measured heaven with the span. The span is the term of measurement indicated by the distance between one's thumb and one's little finger there. God measures the universe like this. How big is the universe? With the naked eye, you can count just over 1,000 stars. 300 years after that was first done, the telescope was introduced and man counted 3,000 stars. Today, with high-tech instruments, scientists can count up to 100 billion stars And that is just in our own galaxy alone. They say there could be upwards of 100 billion galaxies. Okay, how much is a billion? If you were to count to 250 every minute for 24 hours a day, you count to 250 every minute for 24 hours a day, it would take you 1,000 years to count to a billion. That adds new meaning to our national debt, right? You understand just enormous, enormous numbers. 
But do you know what's more amazing than the number of stars? Is that God counts them and he knows them by name. They say to take the stars as far as distance is concerned. If you draw a dot representing the earth, and then nine inches away, you draw another dot representing the sun, every inch would need to equal 10 million miles, for the sun is roughly 90 million miles away from the earth. So you have the earth nine inches away, you have the sun, 10 million miles per inch. You take another dot and you put that dot more than 40 miles from here, perhaps most of the way to Asheville. Remember, every inch still represents 10 million miles. That's the distance to the closest star to us, Alpha Centauri. And students, God measures it with his hand like that. You know what that teaches me? God is bigger than you. God is bigger than me. And God is bigger than our problems. Verse 12 says that God calculated the dust of the earth in a a measure. That, That means he measures the dust of the earth with a measure with his hand. It's how they used to weigh things in the Old Testament with a small hand scale. Scientists say that the earth weighs six sextrillion metric tons and he holds it in his hand. We sing the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Well, you know what? He does, in fact. And isn't it absurd to offer the God of the universe our advice instead of our submission? So the general revelation of creation teaches us about the person and the character of God, but also then the special revelation of God's word gives testimony to the person of of God. It was in 2 Peter 1 that the apostle Peter recalled the day of Jesus' transfiguration. And he says he was an eyewitness of God's majesty. And there on that occasion it was Peter, James, and, and John who saw the glory of God. What an amazing experience. But you know what Peter says just a few verses later in 2 Peter 1? He said that he had something more sure than what he physically witnessed with his eyes. He had something more sure than what he experienced. He had the writings of the prophets. He had the written word of God. And so the scriptures give testimony to the person of God. And it's in these pages that we come to understand who he is. Go back with me to chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 And notice what takes place next, verse number five. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Why? Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I would give you number three. Isaiah was graced when he was humbled in repentance. And I think it's it's doubtful that Isaiah ever repented like this before. Since he was a prophet... It was his job to tell the other people to repent. In fact, Isaiah even leveraged the holiness of God in calling other people to repentance. Let's go back to chapter 5 again. Notice this in chapter 5, verse number 16. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God who is holy shall be hallowed in righteousness. If you look to chapter 5, verse number 19, um, 
And let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. Verse 24 as well. The holiness of God there at the, at the end of verse 24. The difference now from chapter 5 to chapter 6 is that Isaiah has seen the holiness of God himself firsthand. And has come to realize that because of his own sin, he would necessarily be cut off from fellowship with God like all of his people in Judah. In fact, another insight if you... Turn your attention back to chapter 6, verse 1. The the mention of King Uzziah and the year that King Uzziah died. That's more than just a a time stamp of 739 B.C. It's more than a chronological marker citing the year of Isaiah's vision. I, I believe Isaiah was making a comparative reference of his experience to the experience of Uzziah. Let me explain this, this background for you. King Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king of Judah. And he reigned for 52 years. He was generally a good king. He was very prosperous. However, in pride, Uzziah entered the temple of the Lord one day and he burned incense on the altar by himself. Of course, he had no right to do that. No right to approach God in that manner. That was reserved exclusively for the priests. And Uzziah approached God in an unworthy manner. Follow this now. Uzziah approached God in an unholy manner. And consequently, what happened on that occasion, the ground shook. Uzziah was struck with leprosy. He was driven from the temple. He had to be made to live apart, separate from all the other people until his death. Worse than that, the Bible says that Uzziah was cut off from the house of the Lord. Uzziah's relationship with God was ruined. You can read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. So that story in part is why I believe that Isaiah now is terrified when he saw God's holiness. And he felt himself horrified, ruined in the same way that Uzziah. So he turned his preaching on himself. He cries, woe is me. And students, that, those are some of the, the best words that one can ever utter in the, the ear of God. Remember the tax collector in Luke 18, who he, he beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to us, merciful to me, a sinner. And here Isaiah humbles himself in repentance, and he experienced grace in this moment. How do I know that? Because James 4 says he gives more grace. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And Isaiah was graced by God because of his brokenness and his humility. Verse number 6, chapter 6, verse number 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. This is a great picture Symbolic picture of God's plan of salvation. First, the coal is taken off the altar. In other words, it was taken from a place of sacrifice. The altar was the place where a lamb was slain for the remission of sin. Then secondly, that coal was applied to Isaiah's lips, for he had sinned with his lips. It must have been painful, but effective in purging Isaiah's sin. Literally means atoned for. And all in all, this was a a work of God. And in this, Isaiah, separated from a holy God because of his sin, could be reconciled together with God. Romans 5, verse number 10, perhaps you know it. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. 
much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Number four, Isaiah was blessed when he experienced this reconciliation. Isaiah was blessed when he experienced this reconciliation. And why do, I, why do I say this? How do I know this? Because Psalm 32.1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Students, folks, I don't know your story. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. You have maybe skeletons in your closet. Perhaps you have scars from the regrets of your past. You've wandered far from God, perhaps in harbored and hidden sin. But I declare to you that you can be reconciled to God today and know the blessing of God when there is repentance and forgiveness of sin. Look at verse 8. Isaiah says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Number five, Isaiah was obedient when he was recommissioned. Isaiah was obedient when he was recommissioned. He answered at the end of verse number eight, Then I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah willingly responded to God's call and he obeyed. Now, Working backward in your outline, it's before you on the screen, some of you have taken notes. Working backward, Isaiah was not commissioned or recommissioned, that's number five, until he was reconciled, that's number four. Isaiah could not be reconciled, number four, until he repented, number three. He was not willing to repent, number three, until he had been ruined, number two. He did not know he was ruined, number one, until, number two, until he saw God on his throne reigning in holiness, number one. You may not know this, but Isaiah went on to become a spokesperson for the holiness of God. In fact, Isaiah calls God the Holy One 30 times in this book, more than any other writer in all the Bible. In fact, I want you to turn to chapter 57, chapter 57 as as we conclude. Isaiah responded to God's call, said, here am I, send me. And Isaiah then preached repentance into the face of a sinful Judah. Chapter 57, verse number 15. This is Isaiah's message. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who is a contrite and humble spirit to receive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Remember the the, the necessary separation that God's holiness demands. Remember the separation that Uzziah suffered. Remember the reconciliation that Isaiah enjoyed. Look at chapter 57, verse number 18. I have seen his ways and will heal him. I also will lead him and restore comforts to him and to his mourners. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him 
who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. And folks, that was Isaiah's experience right down to the lips. Isaiah never forgot what he saw in the holiness of God. And he never stopped telling people that there is a way for unholy man to be reconciled to a holy God. This week I have made the case that the worship of God in missions is where we need to begin. But that worship is the worship of a holy God. It's the holiness of God in missions when we recognize that we are, we are apart, separated from a holy God because of our sin. And the holiness of God demands that we be reconciled. A heart for the harvest because we know that our sins have separated between us and our God. But the good news is that Jesus Christ can reconcile us to God having made peace through the blood of the cross. What a story to tell. What a message to take. Why should your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, why should the nations care about repenting and turning in faith, believing in the gospel? Because God is a holy God. And if we don't bow the knee now, Someday we will, when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory, to the worship of God the Father. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment of, of meditation before I conclude with prayer? I want you to, in your mind's eye, think of the glory, the majesty, the holiness of God as finite creatures we can only imagine how great our God is. He is holy, holy, holy. God in heaven above, we bow our heads and our hearts before you, declaring holy, holy, holy are you. Lord, we recognize our own wretchedness, our sinfulness, our brokenness. We are fallen and depraved. But you have made peace through the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ, and we're thankful for that. God, I pray that you will inspire and motivate and, and enable and equip this generation of of young people before me to take the gospel to the ends of the earth to proclaim that God is holy and that unholy man may be right with him. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.